Welcome to Party Zone Revisited. The who's who in dance music, then and now. With me, James Hyman. And with me, Simone Angel. Good day. Good day, James. How are you doing? I'm doing good. You? Okay. Bit manic with lots of work going on, but you know, always oh. calm when I calm when I hear the jungle and everything chills, and we you know we get our little chat. All good. Mm-hmm. I know there's always the jungle sounds here. Very soothing. So we've got an exciting show today. We have an incredible guest, and I hope you get a lot of time with this person. He is absolutely mega. A lot of comparisons, I would say, between him and another recent huge guest we had on, Paul Openfold. I mean, both, yeah. you know across the you know they dj'd everywhere they've remixed everyone they produced everyone had amazing success they've also both got guinness world records i didn't actually realize until i oh. sort of went deep into all my research i spent a lot of time at high magazine putting out some unbelievable uh norman cook press and fat boys press amazing i mean i won't show all of them now because we don't we have a lot of time also if you're listening to this you're not going to see what i'm showing but yeah he has a guinness world record for the most top 40 hits under aliases, so different names. Remember, he was like Freak Power, Mighty Dove Cats, Pizza Man. I think he had like 14 top yeah. 40 hits. I mean, let me tell you, to have 14 top 40 hits alone as yourself is unbelievable. He's doing them under aliases. That might record, I think, may have possibly been broken by now. Um, so, uh, yeah, he's amazing. Wow, before, before amazing. I for, yeah, before I forget, one geeky thing, if you remember to ask him, just something I was actually thinking about the other day. I think it was mm-hmm. on the radio, it was in my head. Remember Brimful of Asher, that incredible corner shot remix he did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they use a phrase, he tore the out of it. He, he really reconstructed that. And I'm often wondering, I think there's a little change possibly in music because I'm doing a lot of licensing at the moment. I would argue, and Armin van Helden also does this, he almost rewrote that track, yet he probably wouldn't get a writer credit for it. He, he just got the remix fee or maybe he got points. But I think sometimes people yeah. who absolutely completely rework something it's like they've rewritten it i mean the original of that to yeah. compared to what that remix did you know classic again like interesting okay. question yeah yeah and the other, the other yeah. thing i like I'll about the other thing i noticed which i mean he really again very similar with okay you know they took sort of rock into dance and vice but actually norman cook really lived it did it you know he was in bands so he went from the rocky jangly guitar whether it was Beats International, the House Martins, to the dance. Amazing actual transformation. It wasn't like a DJ who said, you know, I'm, I, I play rock and now I play it. He did it. Freak power. Yep. Yep. All the amazing videos, all his amazing appearances, mm-hmm. the Big Beat Boutique, the Brighton Beach Parties. Um, talking of you too, when I said, by the way, that remix so of Oakenfold. Um Weird thing I found in, I think it was uh, DJ Times magazine, you 2 calling him up once, asking him permission to sample drums of his. He did a weird sample CD, Skip to My Loops. And wow. uh, yeah, they like yeah. imagine getting that call from Bono or Bono's people. Can we nick your drums? Yeah. But anyway, very quickly before you do it, nice. because I know you're going to have so much to talk to him about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just showing a couple of things here. Look at him there. And, this is... And- This, by the way, so for anyone who listens to our podcasts, Mm. do also know that we have a YouTube channel as well, right? So we love all the people who listen to our show, but also if you want to just see the people, if you want to see these little bits of press and old MTV clips, then do go to our YouTube channel. It's the same thing. It's Party Zone Revisited. And of course, on the YouTube channel, you can leave us comments too. We love the comments. So make sure you do that and subscribe. So subscribe to your normal um, podcast provider and also our YouTube, please. Okay, well, go on, Spot James, on, you're absolutely right. Show and tell us what I you're showing. Do, I will do some show though, because obviously if you don't go to watch the YouTube and you don't get a bit more vision and don't look at Instagram, you're going to have to have a very, very good imagination. Because here is Norman from Record Mirror. There we go. Look <laughs> at him there in the House Martins, front cover of Record Mirror. I'm um, just going to take the specs off here so I get that. That was in 1987, 35 years ago. Amazing, wow. right? 
And this is wow. him again. And he's right. still going strong. Love it. Look, from House Martin to House Master, Norman Cook in 89, again on uh, Record Mirror. Him with a Dalek <laughs> when he was with Lindy Layton and Beats International, another Record Mirror cover. I really dug deep for these. I didn't want to touch some of these originals. Him on the front cover of Spin Magazine. Now, you this is one of the coolest. So much Look, press. It's, I don't know. That's what's unbelievable. I haven't even read half of these, but this is where I really, my respect for him just shot up like unbelievable. To be on the cover of Ray Gun magazine. Ray Gun was an amazing, disruptive US, very ultra cool mag. I mean, this guy, you know, if you think about it with Norman Cook, obviously he made the tabloids a lot through his marriage with Zoe Ball. He was just the most insane, the celebrity marriage. And this as well. Look at him. Effing in Heaven from February 1999. Cover of Ray Gun does not get cooler than that. If I had a spare copy of this or if I was Norman, you'd definitely frame that and hang it. So I wonder, James, all yeah. these artists that we have on the show, I wonder if they even have all this press that you have because it is just, it's incredible. Your high mag um, mm. magazine archive is just out of this world. And for you, you to have all this press, I'm I sure know. a lot of the artists are quite jealous <laughs> well if it all gets digitized yeah. very soon they will have access and one more thing that i just love and only people who have been listening to our show all the way from the beginning may remember this point and that is that none of this is actually like it isn't like an archive where you can just type in the name and it tells you where these magazines are it's like no you remember it you go okay 1999 he was in the, and you just climb on top of these stacks of magazines yeah. and you pull out all the press it's just it's insane james very impressive thank you very much look at him there in combat gear <laughs> yeah. enemy so he's now showing me a uh, an enemy cover where norman cook is looking like a soldier with a helmet on yeah com combating your questions and did you know, fun fact, mm. Norman Cook visited um, Belize. He came and we set up um, a little recording session for him on one of the islands here. And we set him up with some of the bigger Belizean artists. So there was the Garifuna Collective, who are really big on like the world music stage. And Andy Palacio, who was a national hero, who sadly passed away since then. And um, it was interesting because all these artists... I'm not really used to working in studios as such. Like all their music is recorded in their own houses. So the guy who does their recordings tells me that he'll set up the drums in the kitchen and the microphone in the bedroom. And that's how they record all their world music. And so when Norman took them into the studio, the minute the little red light went on to say that they were recording, they all kind of froze. So he didn't manage to get too much out of it. There was a little sample that he used on the track with uh, the guy from the Talking Heads. Uh, what David was the, Byrne. Yeah, with David Byrne. But that was it. But yeah, and we went snorkeling with with sharks and stingrays. Nice. So there you go. When was that? 14 years ago, something mm. like that. Long, long time ago. So yeah, it'd be fun to chat with them again. Can't wait. Excellent. Oh my goodness, Norman Simone, how are you doing? Long time no see, baby. Ah, I know, I know. Let me think when I last saw you. So my youngest was a baby. He's now 16. So I think you must have been in Belize about, what, 14, 15 years ago? Must have been, yeah. Isn't, it, isn't, it, isn't it so not rock and roll that we gauge time by our children's ages nowadays? Well, that's, that's my only sort of barometer <laughs> of when things happen. How old my children are? That's it's. Yeah, I know, but it's 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 a clear way of doing it, right? So yeah, um, yeah it's been a while since we've been snorkeling with the sharks and the stingrays. Yeah, yes. I, I talked to someone the other day about how you you made well, you didn't make me, you encouraged me to go swimming with a shark. I've still got a picture of me looking down very hesitantly as I get in with the shark. And um, yes, no, because. How have you been? What's been I've going been on? Very, very well. And talking about talking about kids, um, I just love seeing your children stepping in your footstep. When you sent me the video of your daughter Nelly DJing, oh my goodness, it's amazing. How yes. Do, it, how does that no, feel as a dad? It's uh, it's lovely. I mean, it's kind of um, 
it's, it's sort of weird because I don't want to be, I've never, me and Zoe never wanted to be those pushy parents who mm-hmm. kind of, you know, and, and we always had a dream that our children would be like kind of really boring librarians and just kind of rebel against the lifestyle. But I suppose because they've grown up with it, it's sort of, it feels natural that they do it. But I want everyone to know that I'm not pushing them to do it. The weirdest okay. thing is my son, because Nelly only sort of did the DJing thing because of lockdown. It gave us something to do during lockdown and then she kind of went viral. But my son, um, all the time that he lived with me, uh, the first eight, 19 years of his life, I, I would say, do you want to be a DJ? He's like, no. And then even when he was kind of getting into showbiz, he'd done some TV stuff. And I was like, are you going to DJ then? He's like, no, the thing is, I'd always live in your shadow. I'd always just be your son. Yeah. And, you know, and which I thought was quite astute with him. And then he went off to Bristol to university. And in about a month, he's like, oh, I've taken up DJing. And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> All that time you live with me, that I could have helped, and you know. But I think he wanted he he wanted to do it on his own terms. So it's quite funny. So he, it was only when he stopped living with me and I couldn't interfere that he wanted to be a DJ. How I suppose funny. that speaks volumes about children and, and I know. Their relationship How with their parents. funny! How funny! How was that for you actually? Um, when your kids were younger, I mean, now they're older, it's fine, right? But I can, I mean, I was always really happy that we lived here in Belize, that my kids were far away from anything showbiz and, and their dad's old football career and stuff. But how is it for you guys when your kids were small? Did you feel very protective over them, like with regards to press and stuff? Yeah, I mean, we... We always we always said that they're civilians. I mean, me and Zoe signed up for this life, and we signed up for having our pictures taken and stuff like that. But we were we always protected our children, yeah. uh, and luckily in England there are laws, so you know they couldn't show their face, faces. But I suppose it's the 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 nurture bit of them growing up in showbiz. I mean, Woody used to complain that he always got pixelated when when our photo was in the paper. He was a bit miffed that he always got p- pixelated. <laughs> And then the minute he turned 18, <laughs> the minute oh, he turned funny. 18, he threw yeah. himself into a reality show where he was under constant scrutiny of everything he did for a month in locked in a room on his own. So, oh, I mean, we, we spent all that time trying to protect him. And then, <laughs> of course, because they've grown up in showbiz, it's, it's, it's kind of obvious for them to, it's natural for them to do it. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not so worried. I mean, it's, no. uh, I think we, I mean, Zoe and I both lead, lead more wholesome lives these yeah. days, so it kind of it, it works. I've just come back from Camp Festival where, you know, the, the, you see children raving with their parents and, and it feels like a beautiful thing to to allow your children to do these things rather than going, oh, that's, you know, that's naughty grown-up stuff. You know, music and, and raving and, and all of it is, is, is something that's part of the... I think the internet has meant that it's not so taboo what we do. They can see what we do and... and, and so now, now I relish the idea of including our children rather than keeping them locked away from it. Yeah. So how was your your own childhood in comparison? Did in, in one of the press pieces that I'll play for you later, I think you mentioned that your parents were Quakers. Is that right? Not quite Quakers, but that's the easiest way of explaining it. We, they were Cosmans, which is like a Quaker faith. But it's like a just a pacifist, okay. anti-organized religion faith. Yes. Yeah, so, oh. um, yeah, so that was so that was right. Um, yeah, I mean, my parents, uh, they never wanted me to go into the music industry, which just made me want to do it even more. Uh, but my, but they always loved music. So I kind of just, they, they you know, we used to sing in the car. My, my most earliest powerful uh, experience of music was when on long car journeys, we'd take a break from rowing and we'd all sing when our favourite tune came on and that my parents would like do harmonies and we'd have like three-part harmony going on. And I'm like, oh, what is this feeling? My goosebumps are on the back of my neck and my heart is beating as this glorious noise comes wow. and we all sing in harmony. And, and it's a sort of a metaphor for life, really. That, that power of us all singing in harmony just turned me on to music. So that was what I always wanted to do. My dad, especially famously, didn't want me to do anything remotely involved with showbiz or music. And that just spurred me on to do it more. But when you were in school, so this is, I think I saw this on Wikipedia. Is this true that you were learning violin together with the labor leader, um, Keir, Keir Starmer? Starmer? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. 
Yeah, he was in my that, class. That's weird. It's really weird because <laughs> people say, oh, I was at school with someone and they might have been in the same school, but, you know, a different year or something. No, yeah. Keir Starmer was in my class for five years at grammar school. And uh, and we were, I mean, we weren't, we weren't the best of friends, but we did have violin lessons together. How funny. How do you think yeah. he would be, at, you know, as a leader if he, um, if, you know, if Labour got elected? Do you want to get started elected? on politics? Oh, just quickly, just him, because you played violin with him. That's all I want to know. In a nutshell, in a nutshell, I, I, obviously he's on the right side of the political fence for me. Uh, I think he could be a bit more dynamic and um, a bit more, have a bit more pizzazz and a bit more passion okay. as a Labour leader. But I would, obviously, I would like him in power way more than our current government. And you can, you know, you you can go over and play the violin with him. Okay, so something completely different and let's get away from politics. Let me just play a little video of, I think, the first time we met. Right. May have been. This is going to be good. And so this is about (laughs) 30 years ago. This is crazy. So let me do a little screen share. Uh, Right. Look who I'm with. Freak Power. And I now know why they're called Freak Power. What's going to happen with you guys next? It's so boring, isn't it? Always ask the same question. Okay, we know what happened with that. Turn in, tune, turn, 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 turn on, freak, hey, freak out, out, film out, something out. else. Anyway, yeah. what's, what's, okay, what's happening what next? It? We're Get playing concerts like, this is why we're here playing yeah. a beach, beach this evening. Beach, beach, beach hut. hut. Playing a beach hut. We're actually and, uh, on a tour of European beach huts at the moment. What is that? He's got a big hair on his nose. No, that's his nose. <laughs> I like these Wicked. guys. They're so mad. Anyway, um, I like these guys. They're so I mad. Do, I do apologise for giving you a hard time, weren't we? I never got a straight answer out of you guys. I do remember yeah. that, but you made me laugh. That was the nature of freak power. Yeah, we we didn't right. take anything seriously, and um, uh, yeah. So I do feel I felt a bit sorry for you. It's like, oh come on, give her a chance. <laughs> Oh, you haven't seen the other interview. I won't use oh, too really? much of it, but oh my God, you guys were just, yeah, nuts and very flirty. <laughs> and just the whole thing it was just chaos. I'll show little clips, of not, not the flirty bits. Um, but yeah, you guys were, were quite a handful. Well, we, yeah, I mean, in those days, I walked the walk. I didn't just talk the talk. You know, we were out there pushing the boundaries of, uh, of consciousness and, uh, yeah, you know, trying to live up to the, the name of being freaks. And, um, yeah, I was I sort of, it was quite a, um, how do I put this? Yeah, we were kind of living most of our lives out there. Yes. So what happened with Freak Power? It's just that Fat Boy Slim became yeah. too big. Yes, it just, it just Fat Boy Slim. At the time that I started making Fat Boy Slim records, I was in, in Freak Power. I was also Pizza Man, yeah, and I was also the Mighty Dubcats, yeah. And the for a while, the four of them worked in in, in tandem, in it, and um, I could sort of juggle the four. And then, but then when Fat Boy Slim started taking off, it just engulfed my my life and my career, yeah. and just took up all my time. So. Um, yeah, I mean, Freak Power never really split up. Just actually sat at home for five years waiting for me to have time to do the next <laughs> album and, and it just never happened poor love oh yeah bless yeah basically him. yeah fat boy slim just it, it just swallowed up the whole of my time from then onwards it's funny isn't it and it's the kind of stuff that you were saying i'll show you a little clip later where you were saying that it was just the stuff you did on the side you just kind of threw it out there it's just tracks you did and you gave it to friends of yours and they kind of ran with it and before yeah. you knew it it was yeah i mean it, it, in those days sort of pre-internet you could have different aliases and no one really knew who it was making the records and you know as, as long as you didn't um do interviews so it was quite you could be anonymous and you could be polygamous polytrachamous uh and but but yeah the fat boy slim thing just took over i mean at first like no one even knew it was me. I, I remember doing interviews, you might pull one out, where I actually, people said, are you Fat Boy Slim? And I went, no. Oh, I went, no, I don't I have to, that. I, I contractually <laughs> had to lie. 
because Island Records had allowed me to do side projects, but only if I never talked about them and only if they're on independent record labels. Oh so God. at first, I literally had to deny that I was Fatboy Slim. So, uh, but uh, you know, people it, people tweaked and people caught on, and, and it, like I said, it, it just became this sort of monster that engulfed everything else. Wow! And you actually ended up in the Guinness World Records um, for having the most top forty hits under different names. I mean, yes. that's how many different projects you've done. Yeah, well, that, and I've been around a bit. You know, obviously, I've been in different. <laughs> uh, I've been. I've been. Do you know? It's, I'm coming to forty years in the biz. Wow! Amazing, um, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, I, I. Yeah. I. I suppose it's, it's the, the the Guinness Book of Records for schizophrenia in your in your career um but i'm quite proud of that i think i, I think that still holds actually the yeah. um the i believe so hits under different names i believe so so and is it true i think it was ferdy who once said it to me that according to you for something to be really successful it has to have a really shit name almost kind of like you know don't think about it too much and it seems that a lot of the stuff that has worked really well for you is almost you know things you've done off the cuff is that is that right am i right in saying that yeah, I think, I mean, I think you do, you do probably do your best stuff when you're not trying too hard, when you're relaxed and you're having fun with it. Because yeah. music's all about having fun. And, and, and if you're trying too hard, you're thinking, you know, this is it here. And, and, and also you're always sort of chasing that sort of formula. And if there yeah. was an algorithm that could hit, a, that could write a hit tune, then, you know, everybody would be using it. But it, it's, there's something in there that you can't quite quantify, but it does seem to be when you're, relaxed and and confident generally it always used to be when you were making a b-side now your younger viewers won't understand the concept of the b-side <laughs> but it was basically you know you've done the yeah. single and then it's like well we we'll just put a track on and so well, you know the, we've got six hours studio time let's go in and muck about and do something for the b-side and sometimes that would be 10 times better than the one that you'd really thought about so yes um i suppose i mean i think i think probably the true the reason that Fatboy Slim took over from all the other things. Which it was the, the one that was most truly me. Yeah. You know, I was sort of 20 years into my career and finally worked out who I was and what I was best at. And yeah. that's not being a bass player. It's not being a, trying to be a songwriter, you know. And, and you know, the, I, I suppose the, the, the freak power thing ended because we lost money every show we did and we were sitting there asking the promoter how many tickets we'd sold every night. And then I worked out that when I DJ'd, Five times people, five times more people came to see me DJ than wanted to see me play bass. Right. And I didn't have to pay the rest of the band. So right. it was kind of, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I bet it took me all that time to realize that I'm, I'm, I'm better a DJ than I am a bass player or a songwriter. Talking of which, let me uh, do another screen share. And this is a little clip about DJing. Mixmag, July 2013. When I started, DJing was not regarded as a possible career like it is now. No ideas of arena gigs. I played five nights a week in Brighton and still had a day job to pay my rent. We were just above glass collectors in the club food chain. Totally disposable. He is, without doubt, Britain's and possibly the world's biggest DJ. An artist-performer who straddled underground dance culture, pop fame and proper pop gossip column celebrity. He's had number one hits. He's played the Olympics, the Houses of Parliament and Brighton and Hove Albion's Amex Stadium. He's hosted multiple huge big beach boutique parties from Brazil to Japan. He's recorded with everyone from Rizzle Kicks to Iggy Pop and David Byrne. He's worked under more artist names than Damon Albarn, yet remains affably down to earth. There will come a day in the next 10 years when they don't want me anymore or I don't want to do it. But that day isn't yet. Yeah, I don't know when that was written, but that date still hasn't arrived. That was 2013. Um, right, so nearly 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, I, it's, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. I'm still really enjoying um, doing it, and I still will carry on doing it and as long as people want me. And they yeah, still seem to just want did, me, so and I'm very thankful for that. You just, just did Brighton Beach again, right? Yeah, yeah. The Big Beach Boutique. Was it, is it a Big Beach? Yeah, the right? Big Beach big Boutique, beach yeah. Boutique. Big Beach Boutique 6. Wow. Uh, two was the big one, and that was 20 years ago. So it was the, the 20th anniversary of the really big one. And it was, it was the first time I'd been allowed back on the pebbles, actually on the beach. 
it took 20 years for them to allow me to do it again so that was great and yeah and yeah i'm, I'm the, the the only thing that's, that's kind of happened in the meantime was was during lockdown mm-hmm. i think a lot of us had to have a long long think about where we were and what we do and and not being able to do my job really really kind of threw me it's like i realized how much i'm just defined by what i do hmm. and though the other thing that they came out of it was that left to my own devices i can do absolutely nothing because before retirement really scared me because i was thinking <laughs> what am i doing i go nuts i'm used to working <laughs> at this level but i did for, for for about eight months i did get very, very used to not doing anything if i was to see around with my kids playing yeah and um so I didn't go didn't go mad, but also it, just, it made me realise just how much it's part of me, what I do. Uh, you know, I, I suppose if you're a a natural born show off, a, a show off without an audience to show off to, is, <laughs> is lost, absolutely lost. And my oh, appreciation funny. of music, my love of music, revolves around sharing it with other people. Yeah. Just to hear a really good tune isn't enough. I have to then turn other people onto it that hadn't yeah. heard it. Yeah. And so. Losing those things really made me stop and think about, you know, Christ, what, you know, this is, this is actually part of me. It's not just what right. I do. It's what right. I am. Yeah. And, and I made a little pact to myself or with whoever is in charge of this world that if I could ever get it back again, that I'll, I'll never moan about a hotel, shitty hotel room or a, a four hour layover at an airport ever again you know oh, just let me just it. let me have it back please for a bit oh longer. i love it so Is it's that... restored my my absolute faith in in that i'm, I'm doing the right thing and yeah. luckily um people still seem to want me so i'm still allowed to do it so i'm very thankful and appreciative and, and respectful of that well, I think one of the things with you is that you just emanate such a joy when you're out there, when you're on the stage. I mean, I'm sure you must have had down days too, but it doesn't feel that way. It, it, it seems to me that whenever I see any sets that you've played, it's just you're so well, that, filled with joy and that's infectious. Well, that, well that's, that's another thing I learned because I, it, it is all about joy. It's about sharing joy yeah. and about escaping from your problems. And I'd kind of been doing that for years. And then when I've had times during my life when things, when I haven't been feeling particularly joyful, as soon as I get on stage, I get that joy. And that's yeah. the power of, of what we do. That's the power of, of dance music, especially, yeah. to just kind of make you forget your troubles for a couple of hours, you know. Yeah. And so when I was really down, I found, you know, the, the two hours on stage were the only time when I didn't have that anxiety or, you know, whatever I was, I was suffering with. So. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, um, even if I'm having a bad day, as soon as I go on stage, it gets good again. Yeah. And um, so I'm not, it's not I'm faking it. I genuinely, I, there's right. something, something very profound happens. I mean, you spend your life in front of a camera, but when you're that close to people, you just feel their energy. And then yeah. their energy feels you and it makes you do stupider things or bigger things and then they go whoa and then they they, they they're woo and so this is kind of like um chain it's reaction loop. yeah yeah a loop hopefully a loop of, of happiness yeah and and abandon um rather than just i don't know i was just you know the, i don't know if you've watched the uh the um 20 uh, the um woodstock 99 film no i don't want to see a, that i, I i've right. heard about it i don't want to see it Oh, right. Well, that brought back some weird memories of trying to, of me trying to engender abandon and it, it becoming a bit more abandoned than I could deal with. It's, it's, you're talking about the documentary of where things went drastically wrong and it yeah. just yeah, violence well, I in, and. I was right in the heart of that. You were? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. I didn't even realize that. Oh, oh right. Damn. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Yeah, I was, I was, I was the one setting up, trying to get everyone to calm down, and yeah, no, because after the main stage, you said they had this rave aircraft hangar, yeah. and so I was playing on the Saturday night in the rave air, aircraft hangar, and somebody drove a van through the middle of the crowd, and everyone just yeah, it was getting a bit out of hand. But um, yeah, I I I, I like a certain chaos. I think there are limits of uh, of how far you can push it. But if it's a beautiful community chaos. Right. It's lovely. If it's a load of like-minded yes. people and, and that thing. And again, you know, that's something we learned during lockdown is you can listen to the same tunes really loud, having a drink on a Friday night in your kitchen, possibly whilst looking down the screen at the DJ who's playing it. 
and it's just not the same. No. It's just not the same no. as being in a room with no. other people. There's, you have to commune with the other people yeah. Yeah. and be around other people when you do it. Talking about being around other people and being in the same room, I so would love to have been in the room when you and Carl Cox, I don't know if you actually were in the same room, when you made your, your track together. We weren't in the same room, no, oh. sadly. Uh, Speed trials in, on acid. Yeah, he was, Carl was in Melbourne. I was in Brighton and Dan was in Detroit, yeah. the vocalist. Uh, and so it was totally done by, uh, by um, um, internet, oh. uh, which is a shame. It's a shame because like, Carl's a really old friend of mine and, and the yeah. amount of time we spent together, but just um, circumstances meant we couldn't be in the same room making it. And I love how the lyrics of that track, they kind of talk about that same thing. You know, you are me and I am you and we're all together and we're one and we're getting lost in this beat. It's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And, and that never changes because people ask, you know, like, well, going, you know, switching from vinyl to digital and, and the way that ravings changed or whatever. I said a lot of it's changed and, you know, the way we do it changes. But yeah. the basic primeval reason for us to all get together and have that shared common euphoria and escapism and it's uh, it doesn't change and you know no. and I think that's one of the reasons why I haven't why Carl and I are still here why we haven't gone out of fashion because that's what we provide and there will always be a fresh supply of 16 17 year olds who want to get high and get laid <laughs> And you still provide and the, we go the, welcome in welcome into our world of thunder <laughs> the soundtrack okay let me play another um screen share for you this is i like this one this is funny front june 2002 is it disappointing that fat boy slim hasn't become rhyming slang like pete tong no but i was very chuffed to recently discover an ecstasy pill called fat boy slim it just had fbs written on it a friend of mine actually phoned me up on New Year's Eve and said, you won't believe what I'm just about to eat. I was very chuffed. There's a hairdresser's in Brighton called Fat Boy Trims, but one of my greatest honours is, as far as I know, I'm the only person I know to have a tribute DJ. I've got one called Fat Boy Tim, who looks remarkably like me, has copied all my shorts, plays the same records, and is a lot cheaper than me. He gets more bookings than I do, lives in London, and is available for weddings, parties, and bar mitzvahs. Pulse magazine, December 2000. She's a 73-year-old stalker who lies topless in my front yard every single day, says Norman Cook, a.k.a. Fatboy Slim. She's put messages in the door and has broken into my bedroom and left flowers on my bed. One minute she wants me to make her a pop star. Next minute she's claiming she wrote all my songs in the late 50s and my house is rightfully hers. She tells me she's heir to the Habsburg dynasty and her mother was once seduced by Edward VII. She knows where Jimi Hendrix is. She is insane. And it's a bit much first thing in the morning to see her topless. <laughs> There's actually two, two, quite, two quite remarkable uh, oh, follow-ups to that. <laughs> After the ecstasy pill and the tribute DJ, my, my yeah. life was completed by having a dildo named after me. <laughs> now, that... That is when you totally arrived. When there's, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! So yeah, so I did oh, top the XTC pill with a dildo, um, oh, and god. then that lady turned up on um, not Britain's Got Talent. What's the other one? The X Factor. X Factor. She <gasps> no. about a year later turned up in X Factor the auditions. Oh my god! And was completely barking as she is and uh they put her on the, they put her in the best of like the worst basically the worst of yeah, yeah 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 so she ended up like a sort of minor reality tv star oh my yeah, god crazy lady oh <laughs> just but she did she did get quite cross after that article because she yeah. came around and said how dare you describe me as your stalker i'm like well <laughs> <you're the cat laughs> can I call you so your life is just so wonderfully right. weird I mean do you have more like bizarre things like this yes yes I don't know if it, I don't know if it's just me or because I've been in the business so long then eventually strange things will happen to you um but no I'm continually gobsmacked by some of the things you know or, or like 
not a week goes by without sort of me just going like wow, this is just crazy um getting and it's it's either kind of good things yeah or just strange things like being asked to do a gardening show so just, have well, you I, written would... have you written the memoir you haven't have you no what? no hmm few reasons Why? well a i can't remember huge amounts of it okay b a lot of the stuff that I can remember, I would not want published in a book while my okay. parents and my children are still alive. So I would have to wait right. till my parents died, kill my children, then write the book. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Because it wouldn't right. be for the squeamish. But also, you know what? I don't, I, I don't, I'm not arrogant enough to think that I've done enough to warrant a book. I mean, you know, it's, it's, yeah, but it's, it's funny just, though. I know your book is going to be funny because you always have these weird things. Like I don't know, just <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, but no. People have people have suggested it. People have suggested it in the past, and um, I don't give it a huge amount of thought. Really, it's just I don't know. It's just not me. It's not something that turns me on. No. Okay. okay. And and also well, and also I don't I don't admit to. You know what happened the other day? What. The share incident, where someone said we were talking about share, and they said, "Oh, what's she like?" I said, "I don't know. I'm not a matter." They went, "Yes, we have." I went, "No, I haven't." And they went, and they said, "Give me five minutes." And then they showed me a whole article in an American magazine of me and Share having a drink, with photos of us laughing and having a drink and banging on about how we spent the whole evening. I have no recollection wow. of it whatsoever. Yeah. I That's mean, kind of scary, isn't it? Well, no, I have that too. I mean, the amount of times I see videos and I'm like, I've met that person. And I'm like, yeah, I've done a show with them. I have the same thing. I have no recollection. It's almost like your brain can only hold so much. And when you do so many things and you travel so much and you meet so many people, it just, it, it gets filled up. And for me, the stuff that I remember are the moments where I've made a fool of myself. Generally. Yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, because if I did write that bit, the most interesting bits would be the really naughty stuff. Right. Which I, like, I can't, a lot of it I can't recount. And, and the really embarrassing stuff. That's yeah. what people want to hear about really, isn't it? Um, they don't want to hear. Or, 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 I don't know, sort of kind of, Sometimes you sort of read things. It's like, oh, he's name dropping this, and yeah, we did that, and we did right. that. And I don't. I just, uh, yeah, I just, I would, I would have to, I'd have to find a way of, of yeah, not putting any of the, the, yeah, the real stuff. It's like, yeah, it's either not for publication or it just sounds too wanky. Okay, so the other thing you can do, and I gave this same uh, advice to our friend Caroline Prothero, was to basically take some of the stories but turn it into, you know, something separate. It's basically said to her, look, try and turn it into like a, a comedy um, series, you know, yeah. and, and just have these characters. And it's your experiences, but you put them in slightly different characters. So that was my advice. So maybe we can do that with you too. So all your crazy stories can go out and it's not you, but it is you. Hmm. Yeah, I kind of like that. I, yeah. do, I must confess, I just watched Baz Luhrmann's Elvis film. The other oh, day. so good. Have you yeah. seen that? And yeah, I was thinking, amazing. I wonder how much of it's true. It's like, it doesn't really matter. The kind of, the, th the themes are there. Right. And he's uh, jazzed it up. And it's, um, yeah, you could sort of tell the story without it, you know, without saying, uh, actually, you know, all of this anyway, definitely happened. I've planted the seeds. There you go. Okay. Right. Yeah. So talking about, talking about hiding things from your parents uh, and your children, right. let me just do another <laughs> little share. Okay. Now, you guys seem to be um, quite open about drugs. Yeah, right. Interviews and your music, your lyrics and stuff. Yeah, we even yeah. take them in front of our mums and dads. Oh, really? Yeah. And oh, what did your mum and dad say? Can I have one? <laughs> no. So do you think drugs should could be legalised? I think certain drugs should be legalised. No, I think all drugs should be legalised and then then that's it, no more problem. Because you make it legal, then you can make sure that everybody gets good, clean, high-quality drugs. Then you won't get people overdosing on baby laxative and all kinds of crap. Or when they finally get a good hit, it kills them. You know, just make it all... Sort and of, stop all the crime that was, uh, that's associated with it. I mean, it's it. totally logical. The thing is, either that or go all the way and ban cigarettes and alcohol. Or ban, every, they're, they're ban everything. Drugs. Make either everything ban illegal. Or make all of them. More than right. for everybody. Right. Well, Absolutely. there you go. This is what the stars think. <laughs> <laughs> was that true? 
that's kind of how how we felt at the moment. I mean, obviously we were at being the slightly devils, slightly devils advocate right. there, you know, yeah. and trying to redress the balance of all the sort of negative stuff. No, it was. Um, I don't know. I mean, what do, what do I say? You know, it's, you've been. It's, have you all, been teaching? All, all I can say, for... yeah, I've I've been completely sober for thirteen years now. Right. Wow. And uh, but but then again, but at the same by the same token, I don't want to be seen as like the poster boy for sobriety. Not saying, right. oh god, it was horrible. You know, I had some great times when I was partying, and you know, I'm not going to deny that I had some fabulous times. But uh, there was a time when enough was enough. Um, let me play another little um, clip for you about festivals. Enemy. 21st of October 2000. Questions from readers. What's the best festival you've ever played? Glastonbury is the best festival in the world. Best atmosphere. The gig we did with Tom and Ed Chemical at Red Rocks, that was pretty big. But Glastonbury rocks. I probably wouldn't go if I wasn't performing. I kind of need my creature comforts. I'm a bit old to camp now. Also, I play every year. As long as they keep putting me on, I'll keep going. As I get older, I'll get banished to some tent out in the green field. The follow-up to that is I've still been to every single Glastonbury since that, that's happened since 1997. Oh, my God. So you and are the person who's played there the most, right? No, no, no. No? That's the, that's, that's the bad thing. I've, that, that's one record I don't have yet. Really? No, there's, there's a dude out of um, Hawkwind. Who's played every single one since like 1975 or something? <laughs> so he's way ahead of me. So he's got to die, and then I've got to do another 15 years. Um, <laughs> but yes, um, wow. yeah. No, the good news is, yes, I still go to Glastonbury every year, and I still maintain it is the best festival in the whole world. This year's so one fun. was just spectacular. It was so beautiful. Um, I think because, because again, because we we just appreciated it more because we hadn't been able to do it for two years. Um, luckily, I haven't been relegated to the outer fields yet. I still, but I played four shows there this year. From but you've I done some from, funny things there in the past too, right? Remember one year you were in? Was it like this tiny little like little mini disco and like you do some yeah. odd stuff, right? Well, that's that's one of the many beauties of it. So, so I yeah I headlined the the Sonic stage on on the Friday night, but then three hours later cropped up unannounced in the rabbit hole, which is uh, <laughs> one of those after hours tents that goes on all night. And yeah. um, where else did I play? And then I did oh I played in I played at Stonebridge on the Thursday night, dressed as the Pink Panther, um, with eats everything who is in full drag. And I, yeah, I yeah. played the whole gig dressed as the Pink Panther and then did a really heavy one up at the Shangri-La at the Gas Towns on the Saturday night. So, yeah, no, I mean, and that's one of the beautiful things about Glastonbury. Is there's so many different gigs. It's not just everybody sitting watching the main stage. There's so many other things right. going around, going yeah. on around the fringes. But but how do you do that then? If you're if you're you know, if you're not using any mind altering substances, how do you keep going? Red Bull? No. Red How Bull. do you keep coffee? Uh, Red Bull and youthful enthusiasm and naivety and adrenaline. No, I just, I nice. just, I just, I just love it. I just love doing it. And yeah, I mean, the the interesting thing about that in that previous quote was, I wouldn't, don't think, you know, I'm not good at camping. I wouldn't go if I wasn't playing. It's like if I wasn't, if I had to go there for four days and I wasn't playing, I might be tired or bored but because i'm playing i've got this energy right and, and adrenaline and i've got a winnie bago to sleep in rather than a tent so i do get a good mm -hmm. night's sleep not yes. necessarily at night but i get a good night's sleep so right. yeah so that's that's carried on um yeah it's oh it, and you're doing yeah, you're doing a thing you're doing a thing at um at i'm doing a thing butlins butlins yep. butlins i mean <laughs> that's so that's so funny because when I think Butlins, I think like my in-laws, right? They yeah. used to do these things and now and now it's all of us. Like, so, okay, so either Butlins don't know what's going to hit them, right? Um, or have we not, like, like, I don't know. Like, are we really like old now or is no, this, no, are no. we just going to turn it no. on its head? 
I mean, we, I'm not even there, but you know, our our people. (laughs) It's neither of those scenarios. Basically, Butlins Butlins has got wise. Butlins has got hip. Now, they've got all these facilities at their holiday camps, which aren't used during the winter. So they've realized that they can put other people in, put other tribes in. So ah. it's not the bucket and spade brigade. It's not. It's it's transplanting, and they do everything from darts weekends to uh, Chaz and Dave. Lots of reunion. There's like an '80s weekend. There's a '90s weekend. There's a '50s weekend, and basically they invite different tribes to come and and use all the facilities. Yeah. So you can you can you know there's there's beds for three thousand people. Yeah. And there's venues. They've got five really, really state-of-the-art venues. Yeah. And so rather than just have them empty during the winter, they put all these different people in. Wow. Amazing. Most of the – but, I mean, everyone from – you know, I mean, I played Bugged Out and Boys Own in in the old days they used to hire out. So it's quite an established thing. And it's also in the vein of the great soul weekenders, which were normally at at holiday camps. So it's – but it's the first time that I've – curated a thing like this yeah and i've i've kind of i've inherited it from madness oh really they've run, they've run that weekend for the last 10 years and they've oh. retired on after 10 years of doing it wow but they've got the same management as me and, and butlin's just said would normal like to do it so it's a bit of an experiment oh i'm sure it's uh, going to be so not much sure, fun not sure if me booking all 35 acts is a good idea um but there you go uh and then and I'm trying to push it a little so it's not just kind of DJs. We've got people giving dance lessons. I've got an artist in residence, one of my favourite artists, who's going to paint an enormous mural during the weekend. Wow. So it's just an excuse for all the like-minded, like-minded um, people who, who like me to, to gorge ourselves yeah. in an orgy of, of music and stupidity and dressing up and fun. Oh, and, you, you it's know, gonna... No one has to worry about, you'd have to worry about babysitters or cabs home or anything because you'd just crawl back to your chalet when you finished. It's so, going to be yeah, so I think much it's fun. Not, it's not the madness that you that you, you kind of think. What? I mean, the weirdest thing, I think, is probably the, the mix of age groups. Because what the what Butlins don't like is too many young people. That's oh. why they tend to do the kind of reunion things. Just right. because young people don't spend so much money and they cause trouble and they break things. And so we're not quite sure what the demographic of my audience is. It's everything from 10 to 50. Yeah. Or 60 even. So we don't know that we'll find out. Yeah. But I'm, I'm hoping, again, coming back to this whole idea of community and, and togetherness, the idea of, of all the like-minded people who like my strand of fun, having them all in a, in a, a, a location for the whole weekend. Yeah. Could, something really beautiful could happen. Because I figure, like, you know, when one of your friends meets another and they went, Oh, you know, I don't, yeah, they're really nice, your other friend. You know, I didn't think we'd get on. It's like, well, of course you would, because you're all handpicked because you're lovely people. Right. And so all the lovely people who follow me, you put them all in the thing together, and hopefully they might all get on, you know. I think it's going to be. energy there, I think, could be brilliant. Great. I wish I wasn't so It's a bit of a social away. experiment. Yeah. No, it's going to be good for sure. So that's, that's in November, right? November, yeah. And it's called okay. All Back to Minehead. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, I'm doing a thing with um, Ray from Two Unlimited asked me to come to, um, they're using an old bullfighting ring in Marbella. So I'm doing a 90s event with him in a bullfighting ring. So the same kind of thing. They're just trying to find new ways of using really great facilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, Let me see if I have, I've got two more little clips to share with you. Let me do. Sorry. No, this is more. This is a question for you. Are you no, ready? I go? Yeah, I'm gonna be. That's okay. Now. You can stay here. No. You can stay here and pull faces and stuff, or just kind of like yeah, lounge. So be the um, slinky bald. Sex so thing. Norman, you're a very busy guy. You are yeah. just like in free power. You also do Pizza Man, um, Fat Boy Slim. Yes. And and um, Mighty Dub Cats. Yes. Anything more? Anything I missed out there? Nothing I don't up to. No. No. So. No. Nothing I know. So, how do you do this? How do you find a time to do all those different acts? Uh, Doesn't go to the toilet. I don't go to the toilet very much. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just, uh, I only do the others. I'd just like to say the freak power is my my reason d'etre and my thrust of life and everything. Mm-hmm. And the rest is just when I've got spare time. I just right. sort of just do things at home, produce things for other people, and. Uh, I, I just sort of give them to my mates who run labels and they do all the rest. I, mm. I mean, because actually making the music doesn't take very long. It's 
promoting it and doing gigs yeah. really. But I don't do that. This is my band for, uh, right. for promoting and doing gigs, and the rest of it is just a hobby. But you do run Southern Fried Records. I do run Southern so, Fried Records, but it doesn't actually, I don't actually do anything oh. to run it. I just do. Uh, he's an exec. He has like a very fast car and, you know, obviously a limitless drug supply. Business, and, business car. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no, but I don't actually, I'm not a very good businessman. I don't company, do business. Yeah. I don't do business. I do music and drinking and DJ. Right. Don't do business. Okay. Not at all. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough, we can live with that. That's like watching, that's like watching you and your girlfriend and, and knowing that you're shagging someone else. And, and say, why? Oh, don't worry, freak power's my band. Well, no, there's me saying that freak power is, you know, don't worry, and that's my band, and everything else is just like a little side piece. And yeah, probably within six you... months of that interview. <laughs> but I, how did I, you know at the time, right? You didn't know. So you were saying you weren't a businessman. Is that, is that still true? I'm still true? not a businessman. No, that's still no. absolutely true. Uh, my work rate in the studio has gone, has plummeted, with, well, to pretty much zero. So that's changed. Um, no, still just, I can't do business and figure, you know, I can't even operate a laptop to do this. So <laughs> I, um, but, uh, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm still, but I still like doing different things as well. I mean, that's one of the things in the last few years I've been, um, to keep my interest in, in, in music, it's nice to do other things. So I've been branching out into being a bit of an art whore. And collaborating yeah. with artists and I curated yeah. an art exhibition nice. and things like that and and things like that keep it all fresh and yeah it, and that just keeps my management busy <laughs> picking the bones out of it. it's like oh what's he doing now okay so yeah so they do the business and I just mess about gotta know what you're good at right I mean that's that makes sense okay final final clip I'm going to share with you NME, 25th of April, 1998. A bankrupt, obsessive cook, depressed, doesn't quite square up with the smiley king of Big Beat we've come to know and love. But then again, perhaps that's precisely the key to the man. When I was depressed, I tried to work out what life was about, reflects Norman. And all I could come up with was love and sunshine and laughter being the three reasons to be alive. Love and looking after your fellow human beings. You know, girlfriends, relationships... Sunshine was to do with the sun on your face just making you really happy and laughter being the most excellent form of communication. I had to take stock and I decided that's what life was about, so that's what I do. The only thing I'd want to promote apart from the Friday night fun factor would be the love factor, which is that I like treating other people with love. My parents were pacifists, they were Quakers, and all they said was treat other people how you like to be treated. That was lovely. It was, wasn't it? I like that. That was lovely. Yeah, I, and, and I, none of that has changed at all. Yeah. Um, in fact, I'm probably more... I, I, the only thing that I didn't talk about, obviously, that I didn't know about in those days was children. Right. The love that you share with your family, with your, yeah. um, with your own kids, has, has kicked up everything up a notch in terms of how I feel about the world. And If I did a new album, it would be called... It's not about me, it's about us. <gasps> I like that. So and don't that. say if I do a new album. Just say when right. I do a new when, album. When I do right. a new album. I really like to call it that. It's not about me, it's about us. Because that kind of sums up for me yeah. what the world is about. And, and if you're talking about politics or, or, or love or life, it, it's the whole point of us being on this planet is to share it with each other and to share love and affection mm -hmm. and community and resources and um, money and they we I, I grew up during the Thatcher me generation where it's just me 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 everything's I want you know and um, currently we're going through a very bad political um, t timing mm -hmm. of, of a government that's just all about me 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 just a bunch of narcissists and I want to bring it back to us you know that yeah. Us is a far more powerful thing and a far more beautiful thing than everyone just grabbing their own little bit. So, I, yeah, I still believe in that sort of, you know, idea that the world should be about love and looking after each other and making each other laugh. And, and you know, it's, it, I, it's funny because I was sounded quite evangelical in those days, whether it's about drugs or about, about love. 
And sometimes I think as you get older, you kind of get, when you're young, you think, I look at my son and he thinks he can do everything. He thinks he can change the world, have tons of hits, do this and do that. And then life kind of beats that kind of naivety and, and, and um, sense of wonder out of you. But I think a lot of it is still there. And the, the basic principles that I like making people smile and dance and I like bringing people together and, and a world full of love is, is a powerful and beautiful thing. But well, don't you think, though, when you look back, that that's really, that's what you've done. I mean, that's been your gift to the world. It's like they say, you know, the only reason to enter the room is to heal the room. And it's like you've come into the room and, and your joy and happiness and the music, you lived everyone's spirits. I mean, that's what you've done. That is your well, gift. That's what, that's, that's what I try and do, yeah. Yeah. That's... um. I, mean, that's, I think you've that, succeeded. That, that kind of, as I as I get older, I kind of figure that that was my purpose to be on this planet, yeah. was to do yeah. that. You know, there's lots of things I'm not very good at, but I do seem to be quite good at, at, at doing that. I felt I met. Bring um, joy. I bet I met a, um, a, a a very old journalist friend of mine that I hadn't seen for years. I bumped into him at an airport and we were chatting. And um, do you know Chris Heath? Do you remember Chris, Chris Heath, Heath from the old days? Yes, I know his name, but I can't He's picture his face right now. Years ago. Anyway, I met right. him at the airport and we were chatting and we were still and we were talking about and he said, Oh, you're still self effacing and I said, Well, I'm still not the world's best musician or DJ and I said, But get away with it. And he said, You know what you are? He said, You're a shepherd of moments. Mm. And I thought that was just a really beautiful way of putting it. Because I'm yeah. not a lot of what I do is taking what other people have done and just moving it around and but like you said, trying to light up the room or free the room from, from yeah. um oppression or just banal or just i don't know it's 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 not changing the world but it's just maybe brightening it up a little bit you can only change the world one person at a time because when you one room at a time one room at a time and then those people come away and you know when when they feel happier the next person they meet is going to be happier i mean it's the law of resonance so Mm. i think that's a huge gift do you know so, what? Do you know what? If do you want my probably my greatest achievement is is in all of on, this. Go on. Is the number of people I made into DJs. Ooh. We have this. We have this kind of a, like imaginary clicker where I meet people at airports and they go, "You're the reason I started DJ." And then and some of them really famous DJs and go, "I went to see you on Brighton Beach and I just came, after that night I went out and bought decks and I wanted to be a DJ." So I've, if I've turned people onto anything, it's 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 making them want to be DJs Ooh. and literally hundreds of people have told me that that's why they started DJing and oh, I, I, I really take that I get yeah. a little more filling my heart every time I hear that yeah proper ripple effect one one last question that James asked me um, completely different um, you know with with things like you know way 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 back when you did um, that remix for Brimful of Asher and, and stuff like that where you take a track and you completely change it he was wondering, how does that work? Um, does a remixer at that point still only get a remix fee or like a writing fee when a track is completely changed? So just like I said, completely different, but still a question I had to it throw depends, in. It depends how, uh, how astute and aggressive your manager is. Right. Um, generally, no. Generally, you get paid a flat fee as a remixer. But every now and then... Uh, it's funny you should pick the Brimful of Asher as an example. That was one where, bless them, Corner Shop came back to me and said, you know what, you really turned that into a hit. We feel we should give you more than the, the flat wow. fee that you... And no, in fact, I didn't even charge because I asked them if I could remix it. I said, I really love this record, but I want to be able to play it in my club and it's not fast enough and it needs, you know. And um, can you give me the parts and I'll remix and if you like it, you can release it. But we never had, we, it was always just like a kind of friendly thing. So there wasn't any contract. And they came back to me and they give, did actually give me like a percentage of the record because wow. I helped it. But generally, no, generally, no. Unless you've got a really, really aggressive manager who just goes in and demands things for you. Good karma, though. I like that one. But it was, it was good nice. karma. And they're, they're lovely yeah. people. And then they, yeah. I, think they, I think they let me put it on their greatest hits as well. <laughs> I might. So uh, let me put it on my greatest hits, even right. though it wasn't my record, which is, I thought was very, uh, very gracious. Yeah, and I, I do love as well, like what you said with that track, that you actually remixed it so you can play, you, you were able to play it out. And then with a lot of the Fat Boy Slim stuff, that you were actually making 
the music because you well, wanted like to you have enough it, of these tracks to play on your sets? Comes, sometimes the best stuff comes out when you're not trying too hard. Like I wasn't trying to get it on the radio or have a hit. I just wanted to have my own version that I could DJ with. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's when it's it's just the most natural. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the most beautiful and natural little stories of, of just hearing a record and hearing something in it wasn't there and, and it coming true. And yeah, I wish I wish all that music business was always as easy and as friendly and as that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, especially now that your, you know, your kids are behind you and entering into it. It's like you want them to be entering a nice space. Well, I think they I think they still believe the world's a beautiful place. If you see my son, he's basically like a kind of cartoon character of me. He's like he's more ebullient on stage. He's more just disarmingly positive. Oh. He's more nice to everyone and friendly. He's just like kind of an exaggerated version of me. And it. so, and, and I'm immensely proud of that. Wow. That, you know, that he, yeah, that, I suppose immensely proud that he's kind of taken on my good traits and me and Zoe's yeah. good traits rather than the bad ones. Nice. But he, yeah, he's nice. most, most disarmingly uh, positive and beautiful and trusting person that I've ever met. Oh, I love it! Joy, joy, joy! That's what's joy, joy, joy. And we're, that's and, what you've I mean, spread I would have, out. I would have taken, I would have taken in the sixteen years since I last saw you that we were both still alive and had our health. You know, anything beyond that is a buzz. The fact, the the fact that we're still here and still allowed to do what we love, is, mm-hmm. and that you still live in a beautiful place, actually, as as do I, uh and have beautiful children and you know it's uh, that's all you can ask for really, isn't it? exactly exactly norman thank you so much for being on the show i really appreciate it it's always well again a joy <laughs> to see you uh well I've, 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 i i feel that i should give you a nicer interview than i i patently have in the past <laughs> I was, i've always I enjoyed our really, interviews i was really sweating watching that i was just thinking oh my god oh Come on, yeah, it was it's... fun. I enjoyed it. No, thank you, Norman. Really Excellent. loved well, it. A pl- a lovely to talk to you again. And um, let's not leave us alone for next time. <laughs> exactly. Cheers. Now you just interviewed a fantastic guy. And what was the takeaway? What was the be- yes. the thing you got out of it the most? Well, it was Norman Cook, aka Fatboy Slim, Norman, aka loads of yeah, aliases. Norm- Go on. Yeah, Norman Cook. Well, you know, obviously, I knew it was going to be fun. He's just such a nice guy, um, and nothing's changed really. Um, it was funny how he kept apologising for the behaviour of. Um, you know, Ashley and himself, when they were in freak power, whenever they were a guest on our show, he basically, he was saying, oh, we made life so difficult for you. And I really felt like I owed you a decent interview. But I thought they were great guests in the past. I used to think they were hilarious. And the thing is, I haven't even shown him the worst bits. I mean, some of their behavior was just nuts. You say penis because it's an anatomical it's... term, isn't it? No, but anyway, it's after midnight, so it's oh, fine. How with it, dick can... then? Slapper. Yes, see my own impersonation. mug. So I didn't even share that with him, and still he was watching it, going, "Oh, I can't believe." Yeah, but what was nice that. is oh, you were all smoke. you were all laughing. Yeah, I remember it. And I think, by the way, if I remember not going into too much detail, it might be said in the interview, he was going through quite a tough time to get him to come and do that freak power interview. That's Norman, not Ashley. So he put on a brave face, right? Yeah, I mean, he's gone through ups and downs, but I think whenever whenever he's working, you can see that when he's, when he's DJing, because I said it to him, I said, you just always seem so joyful. And he said, yes. I mean, the minute the music starts... 
he is. I mean, he's not putting on a show. He is just loving it, having a great time. And it's quite funny listening to him talk about his children. So Norman and Zoe were trying to keep their children a little bit out of the limelight and out of showbiz. And, you know, you now have these children, all these celebrity children. I think they call them Nepo babies or something. Mm. You know, the nepotism. And these kids are celebrities just for the hell of it, you know, just because their parents are famous. And so Norman and Zoe always tried to keep their kids a little bit out of the limelight. But, you know, in the end, as soon as they could, they stepped in there themselves anyway. And, uh, yeah, according to Norman, his son uh, as a DJ is even more, uh, like, like joyful and, and, and crazy and wild and fun than he is. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to watching him play at some point. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was great catching up with him. Lovely. Can't wait to hear it as ever, as ever. And watch it. Thank you.